0: Shalom Aleichem, we're discussing an overview of the Kut Sichas Volume 18, Matos, Sicha Number 2. By way of introduction, we know
1: that there is a mitzvah to dip in the mikvah new pots and pans that we buy, if they're bought from a non-Jew they bought from a Jew, it's a different story. That's why some people believe if you buy them in Israel, it's okay. But if you buy them from a non-Jew, you have to immerse it in the mikvah. And the discussion of the sikhah will be, what is the significance of that dipping in the mikvah? There's another thing that we do to vessels that are unkosher. And what we do is we put it into boiling water or kosherize them using a torch to purge them of the non-kosher taste. And that's something that we can understand. It is almost scientific, the same way that the non-kosher taste went into the pots or pans or vessels or plates or what have you. And how? By heat. If you use food in a cold uh, basket or a cold plate, uh, the food is cold. No non-kosher taste really goes into it. So how does it become non-kosher? By that food absorbing into the walls of the pot and pan or what have you. And that's only by heat. The same heat level that brought in the taste will purge the taste. And that's why the halacha is that uh, if something is, is, is boiled up with water, like on a pot, it's cooked on a, on a pot, on a stovetop, we kosherize it by boiling hot water in that pot. And it now purges the taste of the non kosher or milk and meat or whether we're kosherizing from chametz to pesach, what have you. If, however, the heat level was greater, like a frying pan or in an oven where it was directly on the fire, here we have to use an actual flame to remove the heat. But in either way, that category of preparing vessels to be kosher is readily understood. It became unkosher by heat uh, swallowing up taste, and then it purges that taste by the same level of heat. There's nothing mystical about it. It makes perfect sense. It's scientific. In fact, there are certain vessels that are porous, for example, that do not allow the taste to be purged, and they can really never be kosherized. So this is a rational law of koshering vessels. However, when we talk about the immersion of vessels in a mikveh, why do we do that? We're taking a vessel, a pot, a pan, and we're dipping it into a mikveh. It doesn't have to be boiling. It can be cold. Suddenly it comes out, and it's like magic. Something new happened, and now it's it's it, it, it's it's changed its status why this is and this is a rule not only with uh this is this is true with any vessel even if it's perfectly kosher i go into home depot or ace hardware store or whatever i'm buying a pot that's owned by a non-jew manufactured by a non-jew whatever the rules might be it's completely kosher it's brand new it's still in the box Halacha says, guess what, you can't really use it until you dip it in the mikvah. Really? What what took place? What was wrong with it before? And what was accomplished by simply dipping it in the mikvah? So it's explained in the Talmud, in Jerusalem Talmud, that it is a spiritual thing. It seems that from the language of the Talmud, it is transferring it from the realm of the mundane, from the ownership of the non-Jew, to the realm of holiness, the ownership of the Jew. It's sometimes understood to be similar to conversion of a person. You did the person in the mikvah, nothing changes scientifically, but everything changes spiritually, and they move, they transfer over from the ownership of, of the mundane, of the nations, to the Jewish people. And it's a huge transformation, even though nothing happens physically. And perhaps uh, it can be argued, and it is argued in some commentary, that, that is the meaning of the dipping of the mikveh of vessels. We're simply transferring it over to the Jewish realm. But nothing really happens, and there isn't really any rational explanation to it. In this sicha, as we're going to see, the Rebbe makes a chiddush, an innovation, which you could say is a bombshell innovation. It is said that when the Rebbe originally said the Sikha, I believe it was 1976. Shavuos time, or the Shabbos after Shavuos, it was in the presence of a great, uh, well-known uh, uh, halachist from uh, uh, from England who was visiting Rabbi Fisher, who was the noted uh, posik uh, of that of London at the time, not a Chabad chassid, but a world recognized scholar, and he was there when the sicha was said, and he was utterly impressed, and he said, "This is this is off the charts uh, Torah genius, off the charts." And that's the innovation the Rebbe is going to give us today. Digging deeper into the meaning of Tfilat Kalim of the immersion of vessels in the mikvah, it's not just hocus-pocus in a good way. It's not just spiritual. There is, in fact, an explanation in somewhat of a rational way of this mitzvah. And this is novel and new, creative and brilliant. So let's jump right in. What does all this have to do with the portion of maqus? Because these two mitzvahs that we mentioned earlier, namely, number one, the mitzvah of koshering vessels, which were unkosher, either through boiling water or fire, and the second mitzvah of dipping vessels in a mikvah to make them fit for the use of a Jew coming from a non-Jewish ownership, both of them are introduced for the first time in today's Torah portion. And why are they introduced first time in today's Torah portion? The Torah was given 40 years earlier. We're now on the verge of entering the Holy Land. Why wasn't it given then? And it's explained because till now it was not needed to be known. Because till now the Jews did not take vessels from Gentiles. They had their own stuff. Um, But now this is the first time that they are encountering Gentiles. They're having this war with Midian. And they came back with a tremendous amount of spoils says Moses and Allah the high priest, who's Aaron's son and successor. Before you use them, I need you to know there's a law that you don't know about. You've never been told about this. And namely, that you got to make sure that if it's something that was not kosher because it was used in heat, you got to kosher it. And regardless of whether or not it was unkosher, you got to dip it on the mic. So these laws are introduced now because it's the first time that they are relevant.
0: Because it's the first time we had a war with the Gentiles and took booty. Comes along Nachmanides'
1: famous commentary, and he says, really, this is the first time the Jews had a war with Gentiles and took booty? What about the war of Sihon and Og that took place a few portions ago in the portion of Chukas, where Moses waged war with those two nations, and it is explicit in the Torah that they
0: took booty? So why aren't these laws introduced then?
1: Nachmanides, though, doesn't, interestingly, curiously, does not ask this question about both of these laws, kosherizing and immersion. He only asks about the kosherizing. Why isn't the kosherizing discussed and introduced in the portion of Kukas? But he ignores to ask, he fails to ask, why isn't the immersion mitzvah, introduced in Chukas, which is curious. And Nachmanides, Ramban, answers that question. Why was the kosher laws, why were they not introduced in the portion of Chukas when the Jews took loot from the Gentiles for the first time, non-kosher loot, they would have to know to kosherize it. And Nachmanides answers because in fact they did not have to kosherize those vessels. Why not? They went to Sihur and Og, these Gentile nations, and took these Pots and pans, which they use for pork and every non kosher thing, they don't have to kosherize it. And the answer is they don't. There's a special law. And when the Jews were in the process of the conquest of the land of the seven nations, even after they went into the land of Israel and for the first seven years of that conquest, they did not have to worry about kosher laws. And why? Because all of these nations, they're part of the inheritance of the Jewish people. And it's a tremendous mitzvah to conquer this inheritance. And therefore, um, these laws were suspended. There's various discussions exactly what that means and why, but it's generally understood they're doing a tremendous mitzvah of conquest of the land, and therefore this is part of the Jewish inheritance. Go ahead and do it. Don't worry about it. Perhaps you might say it's similar to the fact that during war, you don't worry about what the mitzvah of washing hands. Here, a much more serious mitzvah, the whole mitzvah kosher, was suspended because you're busy in the conquest of the Jewish homeland. And therefore, even after we went to Israel for an entire seven-year period, all the trade they could eat pork that they found in the non-Jewish camps and cities, and certainly their pots and pans. There was no worry about kosherizing. Those laws were suspended until the end of that seven-year period. Similarly, says Nachmanides, Ramban, the nations of Sihon and Og, which were conquered Transjordan, they too were part of the Jewish inheritance. Proof is two and a half tribes took that as their promised land. And therefore, there were no kosher laws. So therefore, the portion of chukas discusses the war, the booty. It does not have to go ahead and introduce and say, hey, by the way, before you start using the pots and pans, make sure you kosherize them uh, with the boiling water or with the fire, because in fact, they didn't have to. Those laws were suspended. Whereas in our case, in the Midian War, it's not one of the nations, a part of the future homeland. This was a separate war for revenge for what they did to us. And therefore, the kosher laws were not suspended in this case. And that's why it's introduced here. That is Nachmanides' interpretation and explanation of why the introduction of the laws of kosher are here and not prior. Until now, we didn't know about these laws. We didn't have to know about these laws. Even after the war of Sichon and Og, kosher laws were suspended. However, why does Nachmanides not address the second column, the column of immersion? I understand why kosher laws were not introduced in the portion of Chukat, because they were suspended. But what about immersion laws? Why were they not introduced earlier in the portion of chukas by those wars? They took all this booty, and they're taking these vessels from the ownership of the Gentiles to the Jew. There's got to be a conversion, a transfer of ownership from the unholy to the holy. They would have to do the immersion. Why doesn't Nachmanides address it? Plus, his answer wouldn't apply to the column of immersion, because immersion is not about kosher versus non-kosher. It's about conversion from non-holy to holy. So if the kosher laws were suspended, that has no impact on whether or not the immersion laws are suspended. Immersion laws are a separate law. So the question is asked by the Rebbe, and really it's asked by many, many commentaries who are curious. Nachmanides, this is a giant commentary. When he asked this very important question, how come these laws were not introduced till now? Why are we not introduced by an important section of just a couple of Torah portions earlier when there was a war with a tremendous amount of booty? He only
0: focuses on the column of the kosherizing law and ignores the column of the emergent law. Like, why? This is a big question that's asked on Ahmadis. And the Rebbe in this Sikha
1: takes the liberty of providing an answer to that big question, which many great commentators. Ask and don't give an answer to They can't find an answer to this question. But the Rebbe asks, before answering this question, asks two more questions, which are related, as we're going to see, because
0: one answer will answer all of them. Question number two is going to be, if the rule is
1: that when we buy a vessel, when a vessel comes from the non-Jewish ownership to the Jewish ownership, it needs to go through the mikvah process in order to convert it to holiness. What about when we sell our chametz to the guy on Pesach? Why do we not then, after Pesach, when we buy back, have to immerse all our vessels in the mikvah? When we sell the chametz, and the Rebbe brings from the Alta Rebbe, not only the actual food, but even pots and pans, which may have some chametz in them, they're all sold to the Gentiles. Parenthetically, there are those halachic authorities who don't who disallow the sale of vessels in the contract to the Gentile for this very reason. Because when you buy it back, you're going to have to dip it in the mech. Important commentaries like the chassam sofer. However, the Rebbe brings up the altar. Rebbe clearly explicitly includes in his sale of chametz contract that, yes, in fact, we can sell the chametz and the vessels. If you have chametz vessels included in the sale, because maybe there's some chametz... In them or what have you, and they're soul, and after basic, they're brought back. So, why don't we have find anywhere that custom and that requirement of having to dip them in the mikvah? Hello, they were in the ownership of a gentile, and now they're coming back to the Jewish ownership. They should have to be dipped. And question three, again, very related, relates to the concept of the mitzvah, the custom of eating dairy food on the first day of shavuot the day of the giving of the Torah, and it's explained. One of the what is the reason? One of the reasons for that
0: custom uh, is the fact that the Torah was given on that day. They now have all these laws of kosher. So how can they eat kosher? They, 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 it, 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 the pots and pans aren't kosher. Well,
1: you say, let them kosherize them. They couldn't because it was Shabbat, the first day, of the giving of the Torah was on Shabbos. The first Shavuos was Shabbos, so they couldn't kosherize, and they couldn't go and slaughter new animals, and it's a problem. They can't eat. So you ask most people who aren't really knowledgeable in the details of it, they'll say, yeah, you can't eat meat on the Shavuos. You got to eat dairy. Why not? Because the first Shavuos was Shabbos, and the pots
0: and pans were draped. And how could you kosherize them on Shabbos?
1: But the Rebbe says that's not really the reason why we eat dairy on shavuos. Because if that's the case, the pots and pans are trafed, so how can you eat dairy?
0: The dairy pots and pans are also trafed. And it's shabbos, you can't kosherize it. And nowhere is there a custom that you have to
1: only eat raw dairy. So the Rebbe concludes that clearly the Jewish, the issue was not that the pots and pans are trafe. And the Rebbe brings from sources that really even pre-Sinai the Jews started to keep kosher. As soon as they left Egypt, they knew they're on the way to Sinai. And they planned ahead and they started to keep kosher. They kept their pots and pans, kosher and separate dairy and meat. The very brings in the footnotes. So we know that even the patriarchs and the Jews in Egypt, there were many people who kept kosher, but, but com- as a community, the Rebbe's understanding is that really all the Jews started to keep kosher upon Exodus. It wasn't an issue that they were eating trade. They didn't, they knew they're going to eat kosher. So they started in advance, much like a convert who is going to go through the process of conversion, perhaps. They're going to start keeping kosher earlier. Why should they wait till the last day and have to kosherize on the day of the conversion? They never do that. So the Jews were, for, for the whole seven weeks as they're heading to Sinai, already clean kosher pots and pans, milchiks and fleshiks, everything is wonderful. If so, so why can't we eat meat on What's the difference? It's all kosher.
0: The reason is given because there was another issue. The meat
1: that they had on Shavuos was slaughtered by them in their non-Jewish status. And a non-Jew can't really be a shochet. A non-Jew who doesn't have the mitzvah of kosher cannot slaughter for a Jew because he's not included in that commandment. And therefore, the meat that they had butchered and shechted, so to speak, Pre-Sinai is no longer kosher to them because they weren't kosher shoghites. That's why they can't eat the meat. Not because the meat is not kosher, because it's mixed with milk or because of other reasons of trade. They kept kosher, but they were keeping kosher as Gentiles. And now that they're Jews, they cannot eat their own meat because they slaughtered it in a status of Gentiles. And therefore we can't eat meat on Shavuos, or we have the custom of eating dairy. We also eat meat as a second meal. But the point being, that's why we eat dairy, because they couldn't eat meat on Shavuos. And why not? Because the meat that they had was no longer kosher for them, because they had slaughtered it in the status of non And they cannot go ahead and slaughter new animals that day, because it's Shabbos, and you can't slaughter on Shabbos. So they couldn't eat meat. They couldn't make new meat because it's Shabbos. They couldn't eat the old meat because it was slaughtered by them as Goyim. So they had to eat dairy. They ate the blintzes and whatever kosher stuff, lasagna that they cooked pre-Shabbos, you can't cook on Shabbos, obviously, but stuff that they cooked pre-Shabbos, and they ate it on Shabbos, on Shavuos, hence the custom of eating dairy on Shavuos. Says the Rebbe, okay, so that's the approach the Rebbe is taking. We're eating dairy on Shavuos, not because it's the only kosher that they had, but because the pots were really kosher anyway. The issue is that this was the only available food that they had, and there was no meat available. It says to everybody, I still have a problem. They're eating out of plates. They're eating with spoons and forks. Remember, this is before plastics and styrofoam cups. All of these vessels have to be immersed in a mikvah. They just changed status from Gentile to Jew. So how could they eat all this stuff, and we don't find anywhere that they went rushing to the mikvah to dip their pots and pans. So, this so now we still have the same problem the same way you can't eat meat because you don't have kosher meat because it was butchered by you as your status as a non Jew. You can't eat dairy in your pots and pans and your bowls and plates and cups and bowls and spoons and forks because all of these need to be dipped in the mikvah because you just changed status from Gentile to Jew the day of the giving of the Torah. And we don't find such a concept. We find that the Jews themselves have to be immersed or water was sprinkled on them. They have to go through the equivalent of
0: mikvah. But we don't find any way that their vessels all ought to be dipped in the mikvah. And why not? How did they eat the dairy that day for shavuos? The vessels went from gentile ownership to Jewish ownership, namely
1: themselves, in their old status versus their new status. These become the Rebbe's three questions. Just so we have it all clarity, I'm putting it in front of us, at the top of the screen, the Rebbe's questions. Question one, I'm just recapping. Why is the mitzvah to immerse vessels not mentioned prior during the Sichon and Og Wars? Again, Nachmanides asks why the mitzvah of kosherizing is not mentioned there. And he gives an answer because kosher laws don't apply there. They were suspended. But what about the, the mitzvah not of kosherizing, but of Mercy vessels. How come that is not mentioned there? Nachmanides doesn't even bother asking that question. And it's not included in the answer, seemingly, because the answer is because kosher laws were suspended. Immersion is unrelated to kosher laws. Immersion is like conversion laws. I don't know. It's a, it's a spiritual thing. It's not kosherizing. It's not a scientific thing. So why isn't that addressed by Nachmanides? As asked by many commentators. Question two. Why don't we immerse vessels after selling them to the non-Jew on Passover? Question three, why didn't the Jews have to immerse vessels on the day of the giving of the Torah when they themselves transferred from non-Jews to Jews? The Rebbe introduces a concept, a depth, a huge Chiddush innovation that blows the mind of great scholars and halachic authorities into the meaning of the mitzvah of tvilas Kelim, of immersion of vessels. And the Rebbe bases it on the language of a Rashi which is also quoted by Nachmanides, which is why the Rebbe is going to say Nachmanides did not have to address this because it's clear from, uh, from the words of the Rashi. When Rashi introduces the language of immersion, Rashi discusses both of these mitzvahs, kosherizing and the immersion. In the immersion, he uses the word to kosherize them from prohibition. And this is very curious. You're talking about immersion. Since when is the immersion of vessels have to do with kosherizing from prohibition. The understanding is, based on the Talmud, Jerusalem Talmud, that the whole concept of immersion of vessels is like, because of transfer of ownership, some spiritual um, holiness, what have you. Not that there's any issue of
0: prohibition. You can't use the word kosherizing from prohibition. And yet Rashi does. says the Rebbe Rashi is precise and
1: perfect. Rashi is hinting to this innovation that the Rebbe is introducing, that even the immersion laws also have a concept of kosherizing to them, that when a vessel is owned by a non-Jew, even if it's brand new it was never used it can be deemed unkosher in a certain way really? How can it be unkosher? It's never been used and the explanation is because potentially it could be unkosher there's a concept in Torah and many, many laws that even when something did not actualize itself, if it's that way, potentially, it has some aspect of the unkosher. kosher So while the vessel is in the possession of the non-Jew, it's brand new. It's still in the box. Potentially, tomorrow, we can take it out and cook it up with pork. And therefore, that vessel, I'm not going to say it's non-kosher, because it's not been used, but it has the potential of non-kosher. And therefore, there's something unkosher kosher about it. There's a spirit of non-kosher potential. And therefore it needs to go to the mikveh to remove that. There are many examples in Jewish law of things that are affected by their potential. I'm going to give an example that uh, there's a Jewish law that you cannot pray in a bathroom. The halacha is that if a person builds a brand new bathroom, and why can't you pray in a bathroom? Dominantly because it's it, it smells, it's dirty, what have you. The halacha is that if I what if I build a brand new bathroom? It's never been used. It's gorgeous today, people build bathrooms that are nicer than the living rooms. It's brand new, it's perfect. He it even covers the, the, the maybe covers the seat with a beautiful rug. Uh ah, uh Halacha is that once it's been designated, this will be a bathroom. It already is a bathroom, and therefore, you cannot say the prayers in that room. And there are many, many other such laws. In Torah, where once something has the potential, where eventually it's going to be X, it's already considered as X, to some degree. So coming back here, says the Rebbe, that's the reason for the immersion of mikvah. It's not just totally hocus-pocus. Spirituality, spiritual conversion, the soul of the vessel transfers from the Gentile to the Jew. The Rebbe says, no, the meaning of it, this is actually the meaning of what the Jerusalem Talmud is saying, says the Rebbe. Is that when something is in the possession of an un he can potentially eat treif in that and cook treif. Therefore the vessel which was in his possession, even though now it's been the Jewish possession, and it's never been cooked in, but because it was in the position of potentiality for treif, it is pseudo-treif, and that pseudo-treifness is kosherized by mikvah. That's why Rasha uses the word The immersion is required to kosherize them from prohibition, even though there's no actual prohibition. Potential prohibition is already some form of prohibition. There are many, many examples in Jewish law. One might say the prohibition against yichu, the man and the woman who are not married, not being in the same room. Nothing happened. It's a prohibition because it's potential for prohibition. Once a synagogue or a holy ark has been set aside as a holy place of prayer, one might say there are certain things prohibited in that room just because it's been set aside. So potential, I'm not going to say potential is actual, but potential is, 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 is meaningful in Judaism and halacha. And there are many, many such examples. And therefore, this uh, vessel, if it's in the hand of the non-Jew, it's potentially treyphed, it has an aspect of trafe, And therefore, it doesn't need to be kosherized with boiling water and, and fire, because nothing happened. But it does need immersion in the mikvah, and this is not just to like Jewish Judaize it, but actually to kosherize it from prohibition. Unquote from the Rashi, because there is prohibition, at least in potential. There's a spirit of prohibition. Based on this, the Rebbe answers all these three questions. Question one was: Why does Nachmanides not explain? why the laws of immersion were not introduced earlier in the portion of Chukat, and he only addresses why the laws of kosher were not introduced. Because the two are one and the same. Being that the Rebbe is now explaining that immersion laws are really an extension of kosher laws, immersion is is to kosherize something from the potential of non-kosher. But if in the case of the former war of Sichon and Og, as said earlier, there was no potential for non-kosher because all the laws of non-kosher were suspended. If the laws of non-kosher were suspended, the laws of immersion were automatically suspended. Immersion is not just something you just need to do every time just because. Immersion is something you need to do because there's potential for non-kosher. If in the case of Sikhar and Og, there's no potential for non-kosher because Torah has suspended all the laws of non-kosher when it comes to the Jewish inheritance of the
0: homeland, clearly the immersion laws are suspended too. Brilliant. This is a response to something that's asked by many, many commentaries
1: who don't have an answer to it, and the Rebbe is providing this answer. And by the same token, question two, we, we sell the pots and pans to the gentile. He sells it back, we don't have to put it in a mikvah. And the reason is, it's true it was technically in the ownership of a non-Jew, and it's a real contract, and he owns it. But for all practical purposes, there isn't potential for chametz, because it's not in his house, it's in your house. There's very little viability, that's for sure. And therefore, before the Rebbe's innovation, if the idea is that just because it technically belongs to a non-Jew, you have to immerse it. So yes, if the non-Jew owned it, you got a problem. But if we understand now that immersion is not just totally because of the technicality of ownership, it's because ownership means it's in his possession. And therefore it has the potentiality of non-kosher. There isn't such a potentiality of non-kosher when you sell a Hamas to the guy. It stays in your
0: garage. And therefore, there's no mitzvah, no need for immersion. (laughs) And finally, question three. Remember, we asked
1: the question, why did the Jews not have to immerse their vessels the day after the giving of the Torah, when they were Gentiles and now they're Jewish? And the Rebbe introduces by saying that really there was an issue of kosher, because they were kosher before, and they had nochiks and fleshiks before. They had their separate dishes all marked up before because otherwise they wouldn't be able to eat not only meat, they wouldn't be able to eat dairy either. So everything's kosher. The only issue is that what? That they transferred from non-Jew to Jewish status, and therefore the question was, should they have to immerse their vessels? And the rabbi says, now that we understand that the immersion of vessels is only if the non-Jew had potential for trade, but the Jews, maybe they were non-Jewish at the time, pre-Sinai, but there was no potential for trade.
0: Everybody was keeping kosher, and therefore there was no need for immersion. It's a bombshell of a chiddush of innovation and understood by great scholars as such.
1: When I give this class in my local community in Port Washington, people want to know a lesson other than just a fascinating uh, innovation. So I'm going to suggest a lesson. The Sikha doesn't provide one. And that is that the Sikha is bringing home the power potential. And if something is in a certain way, potentially, it is already that way, actually, to some degree, to the point that this brand new path because potentially it could be used for non kosher, because it's in the home of a non Jew, it already has some form of prohibition that needs to be kosherized through the mikvah. The power potential, think of it in a positive way. When we look at a yid who maybe hasn't done the mitzvah, or hasn't observed, doesn't observe mitzvahs, we need to recognize the potential of that Jew and see them in that holy light. In fact, we know the the principle is that every single Jew uh, eventually will do tshuva and every single Jew will be a perfect tzaddik, etc., etc. And therefore find the Jew who's the most secular. He's an atheist, whatever it is. He does nothing. doesn't fast on Kippur. The way we should view that Jew from the point of view of Hasidus and of Torah and the Rebbe's innovation areas. are you kidding me? The Jew is potentially a perfect tzaddik and therefore to a great degree they're already that tzaddik. It's a famous discussion the Rebbe had with the uh, Satmar Rab Rabbi Yoel, of, of righteous memory, way back when, and they had a discussion where he asked the Rebbe a question. I, one was visiting the other for a shiva, and the Satmar Reb asked the Rebbe, I want you to help me understand the section of the Talmud. The Talmud says that the Jewish people are compared to pomegranates, because even the sinners are filled with mitzvahs like pomegranate seeds. And he asked the Rebbe, says, the Satmar Rebbe asked, and says, the Babachar Rebbe Explain this to me. How can we say that they're filled with mitzvahs if they're sinners? And the Rebbe said, I have the exact opposite question. How can we say that they're sinners when they're filled with mitzvahs? It's just the Rebbe's perspective. See the yid as the potential. Obviously, from the point of view of the Neshama, every Yid is an only child to Hashem, and a literal piece of Hashem, and even in the aspect of mitzvahs, because potentially every Yid could do mitzvahs, and every mitzvah is priceless, and every mitzvah is infinite, and every Yid will do mitzvahs, and every Yid does mitzvahs, and every Yid will actually be a perfect tzaddik, a day earlier or a day later, and ultimately at the end of Tabi Mashiach comes, there won't be one Yid that's not perfect. When you look at a Yid, including yourself, this is a holy, holy tzaddik, and therefore... It's,
0: uh, if the vessels are traced before the mikvah, the year is holy even before the mitzvah.